Are there things out there that you cannot see with your eyes? In the invisible realm, back in 1986, Frank Peretti wrote a book entitled This Present Darkness. Some of you may have read it. I'm sure you probably have. It was on the top 10 best-selling list for 150 weeks in a row. Sold 2.7 million copies. It's a Christian fictional book. It's a novel. And, and in the book, it pulls back an invisible curtain and shows us the spiritual world. In this novel, angels and demons interact and they struggle back and forth for control of citizens of a small college town. And this book shows the impact of spiritual warfare all around us and shows the power of, of prayer. Now, the, the book is purely fictional. It's not biblical. It's, it's purely fictional about what what could be out there? But it does raise a good question. Are there things in the unseen realm that we can't see with our eyes? On Sunday mornings for the past few weeks, we've been going through the narratives of kings, and today's the last day that we will do that. We've, we've seen David and Mephibosheth. We've, we've seen Jeroboam and the man of God who came up to confront the king, and and um, from, from Judah, we, we saw Naboth's vineyard and Ahab and Jezebel. And we looked at the faith of a Shunammite woman that allowed her son to be raised. And then last Sunday, we saw Naaman, the Syrian commander, go down and duck seven times in the Jordan and be healed of his skin disease. This morning, we're, we're going to look at Elisha and the Syrian army. And we're going to look at seeing the invisible. Read with me 2 Kings 6, starting in verse 15. When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? And he said, Do not be afraid. For those who are with us are more than those who were with them. And then Elisha prayed and said, O oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. This morning, our narrative will take place in three acts. Act 1, Act 2, and Act 3. It begins with Act 1, the Elisha angers the king, verses 1 through 14. Elisha angers the king. The story picks up as it picked up last Sunday morning, a chapter earlier, chapter 5 of 2 Kings, with the nation of Israel, just imagine that Israel is here, just to the northeast of Israel was a country the Bible called Aram, A-R-A-M. We know it today as Syria. So the Bible calls it Aram. The, the Syrians and the Israelis fought back and forth, so the Arameans would fight the Israelites. And the most significant contribution that Aram gave to us was their language. Uh, Aramaic that 
was spoken even all the way through the time of Jesus. So, Aram, or Syria, up here to the northeast, and Israel were neighbors, and they fought constantly. So, as 2 Kings 6 opens, they are fighting. There's a battle between Syria and Israel. Now, that is despite the fact that only one chapter previous, they had good relations because Naaman was the commander of the Syrian army, went to Elisha over in Israel, was cured of his leprosy, and there was good relations. But it only took them one chapter to start fighting again. And the Arameans were powerful and strong, and the Israelites greatly feared the Syrian army. In fact, it hasn't stopped. To this day, the Syrians and the Israelis are fighting. In fact, as uh, two days ago, uh, rockets from the Golan Heights went into Syria, and they had tanks march back toward Israel, and it has gone on and on and on between these two countries. So as we open to 2 Kings chapter 6, they're at it again. And the fighting is fierce. And they're going back and forth. And so as the story opens, we're not told the king's name of Syria. He's just called the king of Syria. We think he has been Hadad. And we're not told the king of Israel. We're just told he's the king of Israel. And we think it's Jehoram. In fact... In this entire narrative, only two names are mentioned. Elisha and Yahweh, the God of Israel. Because really, those were the only two that mattered. So the Bible says they're going back and forth, both of them fighting, Ben-Hadad, Jehoram, going back and forth, and they're jockeying for position for the best, most strategic locations so their troops can gain an advantage. But Elisha was a prophet of God in Israel that he was the only one serving the Lord and seeking the Lord. Jehoram didn't. And Elisha was the only one. So God gave Elisha special insight. He was able to, to predict what Syria would do next. So the Bible said that Ben-Hadad would take his troops over to a certain location and Elisha would go to King Jehoram and say, uh, they're going to be at that location, and here's their battle plan. So Israel would go and thwart what they were trying to do. Ben-Hadad got frustrated, made another battle plan, went to another location, and Elisha spoke to Jehoram and said, uh, the Syrians are over here now, and here's their battle plan. Frustrated once again, Ben-Hadad got angry. What? How does this keep happening? And the Bible says time and time and time again, in fact, it tells us more than two or three times, Syria would go to a new location, have a new battle plan. God would give Elisha the word, tell Jehoram, and he would say, Syria's over here now. And Ben-Hadad had it. He got furious and angry. How does this keep happening? So he decided to call all of his soldiers together, all of his officers. All right, men, I want you to line up. How does this keep happening? How does Israel keep knowing where we're going, how we're going to attack? How do they know our battle plan? Is Alexa listening to our conversations? All right, men, turn off Siri. How is this happening? 
And one of his servants spoke up and said, King, there is a, there is a man in Israel named Elisha. And he and his God are tight. And God speaks to him. And King, he's telling him everything we're doing. In fact, he even knows what you say in your bedroom. He's listening. You know, I think sometimes we forget that God hears everything we say. Everything. And He knows everything we think. And He knows every action we do. And I think sometimes we forget that. Because we'll go off on somebody and we'll blast somebody and we'll go off on politics and we'll blast the political party. And all the time, remembering God hears the very words you speak in your bedroom. Listening. So Ben-Hadad said, you're, you're kidding. That's how it's happening? I, I thought we had an informant. I, I thought there was a mole or a rat among us. And one of you was a spy. Nope, none of us are spies. God's speaking to Elisha. Well, let's go kill Elisha. Simple. Where is he? Well, King, the last, uh, the last intelligence we had, he was, he was at a little town called Dothan. Is he still there? It's the last we heard. Is an army with him? Nope, by himself. He and a servant, just the two of them. Where is the army? They're in Samaria. Well, let's go capture him and kill him. Simple. Let's get rid of Elisha. So the Bible says that night, Ben-Hadad took all of the Syrian army, not just a few of them, he took the entire army along with horses and chariots. Back in that day, that was the most sophisticated military weaponry they had, horses and chariots. So he got the high-tech Horses and chariots gathered the Syrian army. They marched down to Dothan, surrounded the city at night, waiting for daybreak. They're going to attack and capture Elisha and his servant. So they march in, they circle Dothan, and there is Elisha trapped and surrounded. And the act one ends. Act 2 opens, the unseen realm, verses 15 to 17. Early the next morning, Dothan is surrounded by Syrian troops. Elisha is in his house along with his servant. Sunrises, morning breaks, the servant walks out of the house and looks, and he sees everywhere Syrian troops horses, chariots, a vast army of Syrians. And he panics. He ran back into the house. He said, Master, Master, trouble. There's trouble out there. He said, calm down, calm down. Well, what's going on? We're in trouble. Why? The Syrian army has surrounded our house. And the Israeli army is 12 miles away. We're stuck. I don't know what we're going to do. It's bad. It's really bad, Elisha. And Elisha said, do not 
be afraid. Fear not. That message is all, all throughout Scripture. Do not be afraid. In fact, whenever God would approach a human, it was usually the first message. Don't be afraid. He said that to Abraham, Jacob, Joshua, David, Solomon, and Mary, and Joseph, and Timothy, do not be afraid. And maybe, just maybe, that's God's message to you today. Maybe you came to church and something has you frightened. Maybe it's a diagnosis, a prognosis, finances, school, work. And God's message to you is, don't be afraid. Calm down. Don't be afraid. And the young man said, why? Of course we have every reason to be afraid. We're alone, Elisha, you and me. And the army has surrounded us. And Elisha said, there are more with us than there are with them. What? Elisha, you don't understand. The Israeli army is not here. They're in Samaria. It's you and me. No, no. There are more with us than with them. And I think sometimes we as believers forget that. Sometimes you show up and, and I tell you, God's going to take care of you. And you go, yeah, 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 I know, I know. God's going to provide for you. Yeah, I, I know, I know. God, God's going to, he's going to see you through. I, I know, I know. And, and it just it gets to be like, yeah, yeah, it's a pep talk is all you're doing. But folks, what I do on Sunday mornings is not a pep talk. It is seeing the, what we can't see with our eyes it is knowing the reality of what, what's out there is from God and more is with us than with them. And then he looked up to heaven and he prayed and Elisha prayed and said, Oh dear God, would you open the eyes of this young man that he may see things as they really are. The young man walked out the door and looked and he saw the Assyrian army still there. But he saw the unseen. He saw the spiritual realm. And the Bible said that the hills and the mountains were filled with God's army and God's horses and God's chariots. So much so that they overwhelmed the Syrian army. And the servant went, wow. A couple of things struck me as I read this. One is, did you notice whenever Elisha prayed, he did not pray for any circumstances to change? He didn't say, oh dear God, would you remove the army? Would you, would you give them a spirit of confusion and send them out? Oh Lord, would you help us to defeat the army? He didn't mention the army. He didn't ask for one circumstance to change. 
None. The only thing he asked for was that the servant's eyes would be opened. That's all. Because that's all that was needed. Notice something else. Elisha did not try to persuade the servant. He didn't say, everything's going to be okay. Let's trust the Lord. Come over here. Let's pray together. And you know, just, you know, believe in God. He, he didn't try to comfort him in any way other than don't be afraid. The only request he had was, if he can only see how things really are, that's all he needs. So God, show him. Show him what he can't see. And he'll be all right. And maybe this morning... Maybe you, you came to church and there's a situation you're going through and, and maybe you've prayed and prayed and prayed about it. God heard you the first time. He knows your situation. Maybe rather than praying over and over and over about the situation, pray, maybe the prayer is for your eyes. Your eyes to see. Because he's already got the situation under control. He's already been at work. You just can't see it. So maybe your prayer is for your eyes. I noticed also in this passage that blinded eyes can only be opened by God. Elisha couldn't do it. Elisha didn't walk over and lay his hands on him. All right, see! He didn't do that. He just said, God, would you open the eyes of the servant? Every Sunday, there are people here that are, that are lost. Never been a time in your life you've ever prayed to receive Christ. Your eyes are blinded spiritually, according to Paul. And the only way those scales are going to be lifted is if the Holy Spirit brings illumination to your heart and mind and spirit, and they're gone, and you see your need of Christ. And maybe this morning that's you. We're going to give an invitation in just a moment. And maybe God has spoken to you and said, now is the time I've lifted your eyes. You see your need. The blindness is gone. You need to come. Act 2 ends. Let's go to Act 3. Verses 18 to 23. A captured enemy so the servant looked and the army is still out there but God's army is greater and the Syrian army began advancing upon the house where Elisha and the servant were and they got close and they got to the door and Elisha prayed again oh God God would you strike this army with blindness so they can't see. And the Bible says in accordance with Elisha's prayer. He was, a, he was a powerful prayer, wasn't he? And in accordance with the prayer of Elisha, the army went blind and they couldn't see and it was chaos. They started bumping into one another. What's happened? What's happened to my eyesight? I can't see. I can't see either. And it was chaos. And so Elisha spoke up and yelled at him and says, Hey, everybody, listen, listen. 
I, I, you're in the wrong town, and you're looking for the wrong man. Let me lead you to the right city and the right man. And they went, great, good, follow me. And so he started leading them out of Dothan. And they're all taking each other by hand like first graders crossing the road. And they're all following. And he leads them out of Dothan. And guess where he takes them? Samaria, where the Israeli army is waiting. So they marched 12 miles south down from Dothan down to Samaria. They're blinded. They walk right into the Syrian, the, I mean the Israeli camp. Blinded. They walk in. They're surrounded by Israeli officers. They're in the Israeli camp headquarters. Not a good place for a Syrian to be. And now they are the ones surrounded and captured when they thought they had surrounded and captured Elisha. So they march in. The army of Israeli army surrounds them. And once again, Elisha prays and says, Oh, dear God, open the eyes of the, of the Syrian army so they may see. And the eyes opened and they went, Uh-oh. This is not good. We're trapped. And King Jehoram of Israel ran up to Elisha and said, Oh, my father, my father, thank you, my father. Why did he call him my father? He wasn't his dad. Most Bible scholars believe it was Jehoram's way of saying, You are much mightier and holier and godlier than me. Thank you for bringing my enemy into the camp. We have captured them. Thank you, Elisha. And then Jehoram said, can I kill them? Can I, can I, can I kill them? And Elisha said, listen to you. You didn't lift a hand to capture them, and now you want to kill them? No, don't kill them. Then what do we do with them? We feed them and send them home. What? We feed them and send them home. Wait a minute. Elisha, you, you don't treat your enemies this way. This is the ancient Near East. This is early in the Old Testament. Do you not understand? You don't treat enemies that way. You make them grovel. You make them your slaves. You gouge out their eyes. And they toil for you the rest of their lives. That's how you treat enemies. You don't feed them and send them home. I think Jesus talked something about the way you treat your enemies, didn't he? Elisha said, feed them and send them home. The king of Israel, okay, all right. All right, boys, get them some bread and water. Elisha said, no, 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 wait, wait, hold on, hold on. Not bread and water. I want you to give them a feast, king's food. Kill the fatted calf. Bring the best of the fruit, the best of the produce. Set it before them. Let's eat together. Let's have a meal together. And let's fellowship and sing kumbaya. What? Yeah. There are some Bible scholars that believe that there was a belief in that day 
that if you sat down and ate a meal with your enemies, that it was a treaty of peace, maybe? Was Elisha trying to broker a treaty of peace between the nations? We don't know. But the Bible says they ate a meal together, and they sent them back home to Syria, and the battle ended. And the Bible tells us that it wasn't for many, many more years before Syria attacked Israel again. There's peace. Did you notice a theme through that story? Sight. Sight. The young man couldn't see the way things really are, so God opened his eyes, and then the Syrian army looking in the wrong direction against God, and they were blinded, and then they were captured, and their eyes were opened. And if there's one theme through it, it's your eyes. So I need to ask you a question. What do you see? Problems? Relationship trouble? Financial problems? Do you, do you have the invisible eyes to see the invisible realm of what God's doing and how he's at work in your life? Do you have eyes to see salvation today? Do you have eyes to see the invisible, to see how things really are? Do you have the eyes to see April of 1858, a man by the name of John and his wife Mary Patton left Scotland to travel to the New Hebrides in the Pacific Islands. They were going to be missionaries. They're going to take the gospel to a group of savages, the New Hebrides. Here's a picture you'll see of John Patton. Now, that's a beard right there. John and his wife Mary and his son Peter left and they sailed. They arrived. Everybody told them, don't go. They're savages. They're cannibals. They will kill and eat you as soon as you arrive. They're uneducated. They're uncivilized. They don't wear clothes. They're, they're not ready for the gospel. But John and Mary and Peter went. They arrived. It was bad at first. Savages tried to attack them. They tried to run them off. They stayed. They built a house. All the time they were watching over their shoulders. They finally built the house and they settled in. The savages keeping them at a distance. Four months later... The son, Peter, died. Nineteen months later, John's wife, Mary, developed scarlet fever, and she died. So John buried his wife and his son right next to the house he had built. He slept on the grave at night 
to keep the savages away from his loved ones. They were trying to get them. John Patton ended up staying the rest of his life in New Hebrides. He remarried eventually. Stayed there the rest of his life. He educated them. They became clothed. He ended slavery, which was common on the island. And he brought them Jesus. There's a story that happened as soon as they arrived, John and Mary before she died, that is told, John told. Billy Graham repeated that story in one of his books. I want to share that story with you. John said right after they arrived, they hadn't been there long, they were asleep one night in the house they had built, and they heard the savages coming. They were going to burn their house down, they had torches, they were going to kill them, burn their house down, and eat them. He heard them coming. They had the chants, the cries, and he said, we didn't know what to do. We prayed. We, we just gathered there together and prayed, God protect us. But the noises kept getting closer and closer and closer. Finally, right as they arrived, it stopped and it got quiet and they were gone. John and Mary prayed and thanked God for his protection, watching over them and went to sleep the rest of the night. One year later, the leader of that band of savages that came against the Patons, he became a believer. He got saved. John led the tribal chief to Jesus. After he led them to Jesus, they were talking, a conversation. And John said, do you remember that night that you came with the tribe against my house to burn it, to kill us? He said, oh, yeah. He said, why did you stop? And the tribal chief said, because we were afraid. He said, afraid? Afraid of what? He said, your army. Where did you get that army to protect you? He said, we didn't have an army. Oh, yes, you did. We were just about to approach your house, and there were large men who came out. They had shining clothes. They were much bigger than us, and they had swords drawn. There were many of them, and they ran us off. Where did you get those? Lord, open our eyes that we're able to see all that you're doing around us with the spiritual eyes you give us. Father, I pray today that you would Help us to have the spiritual eyes that you want us to see with situations, difficulties, problems. But God, most of all, give us the eyes to see salvation. God, would you lift blinded eyes this morning and may people come to you. May they bring their problems, their difficulties. May they recommit their life back to you. And Father, may they trust Jesus for the very first time, open eyes now. In Jesus' name, amen.